Yeah, kill that, kill that. All right, welcome to the Trusted House Painter Academy podcast. I'm your host, Paul Stein, and uh, we've also got the uh, co-host, Clay Rock, on the show. How you doing, Clay? I'm doing good now that I'm unmuted. (laughs) Thanks for being on the show. And today's guest, we've got Greg Hill. Greg Hill is um, from YPO. Uh, That's the Young Presidents Organization. He is the Director of Entrepreneurship and Innovation. Is that right, Greg? That's right. Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show today. Uh, And today, uh, what we're going to basically talk about is... Running your business, whether you're a start, whether you're a small business, uh, starting your painting business, whether you've got a few years under your belt, or whether you're a multi-million dollar painting business, which there aren't that many of. What we're going to talk about today is the key um, factors that make your business successful. And, and it's funny how we tend to forget about these key basic factors. And Greg Hill has dealt with uh, hundreds of elite multi-million dollar globalized companies of young presidents and he's going to share with us what he believes in his opinion uh, is the key factors to growing your business and having a successful painting business no matter where you are no matter what the size is because they're key values they're key core values that we generally forget as we're growing so greg welcome to the show maybe tell the viewers a little bit about who you are and you know what you what you've been up to what what you do and that hey everybody! <laughs> yeah, yeah, no worries. So, yeah, first of all, not a painter. I have no domain expertise in painting. However, that doesn't mean there aren't some juicy nuggets to share. That kind of all business owners, operators, uh, anybody in the C-suite and below. Uh, uh, there's some just some general simple practices. Well, actually, not so simple to to fulfill, but simple to understand. Uh, that anybody can employ inside their business. And for me, uh, what I've seen over the years, I've been kind of in the entrepreneurship uh, ecosystem for about, I don't know, the last 12 years or so. And uh, yeah, I've been fortunate to kind of see entrepreneurship from different locations, Hong Kong, London, Cape Town, South Africa, um, all over the United States and and beyond. So uh, Singapore and Australia. So uh, it's been a pretty neat ride, and everybody does things just a little bit differently depending on kind of what jurisdiction or what nation or uh, I guess maybe super region of the world you're in, whether that's Asia, North America, Latin America, or Europe. Uh, everything's a bit different. So. Well, thanks for yeah, thanks for that little intro. Um, before we get into the juice here, guys, I just want to let the viewers know that we do have a live chat going on YouTube and in the Academy Trusted House Painter Facebook private group page. So if you're watching this right now and you've got questions for Greg or me or Clay, uh, feel free to dump your questions in the chat and we will answer it live on the show. We'll give you your name, a little shout out and whatnot. So Greg, I want to start off with my question to you. Uh, I've been painting for many years, almost two decades now. I've ran huge crews, small crews, kind of like lungs. It grows and expands and it collapses. Greg, what do you, what, what would you say is the most important aspect of being a successful painting business owner? Well, so I, I, I kind of break down one key characteristic for almost anybody that's going to ultimately be, quote unquote, air quotes, successful. And, and this could certainly apply to to the painting business, uh, but it's a pretty broad um, across the board. Just If I could define it in one word, it would be grit. Grit. 
it's the ability to see through the hard times, the uh, determination when times are tough, when, you know, uh, your team's messing up and they're costing you extra money because <laughs> they screwed up on a job or, you know, somebody doesn't show up for work or a customer's hassling you. Time, you know, every day they're just on your case and you got a really tough customer or your marketing's not working or whatever. To, to get through those hard times, it takes grit. And that's one of the key character uh, characteristics that uh, I've heard and really resonated with me when I've been, when I've had that shared with me is um, really boils down everything. So what is grit? What do you mean by grit? Yeah, it, it just said, just that simple, uh, just that simple philosophy of, you know, doing the work. Fundamentally, it comes down to you actually putting in the time. Um, and grit comes from perhaps a source of inspiration that you have. Uh, and actually, you know, maybe on that source of inspiration, I have a little quote I like to share. You might be familiar with a guy named Simon Sinek. Um, you know, yeah. he's a pretty wonderful author, speaker, etc. And he kind of describes this. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And what you do simply proves what you believe. And I think for me, that comes back to people can see when you're excited and passionate about something. And that is that driving force that will allow you to get through those struggles, let your grit shine through and, uh, and really help you as a business owner who's wearing so many hats. Keep going. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, like I said, I've been painting for many years and I tell my guys and everybody I know, there's no secrets to painting. You know, everybody's a painter. Anybody can kind of pick up a brush. Home Depot's proven that anybody can paint. Um, but at the end of the day, there's no real secrets to painting. You know, there's people want to know pricing, people want to know estimating, people want to know production skills. But at the end of the day, I, I'm fully convinced that there's no secrets to painting. And that, like you said about grit, it's just a matter of actually doing the work. Because you can price the job and you can get a high quote. You can you can get all the jobs in the world. You know, it's easy to find work. It's hard to stay in business. And so um, at the end of the day, you got to do the work. You got to show up. You got to go collect. You got to go. You got to deal with the mess that you made. You got to you got to do the things that you said. And, and in my opinion, I think that comes right. down to leadership as well. Right. Understanding what that leadership factor is. Clay, what do you know about leadership? Uh, the more I learn about it, the more I know I don't know anything. Um, looking up on my bookshelf, I probably have a couple dozen um, leadership books. Uh, I've spent 10 years of my life coaching kids soccer uh, and have had success there with leadership. But in terms of running a painting company and managing employees, it's an entirely different style of leadership. And... There's so many different styles of leadership. There's so many different ways to work with people, to motivate people that, man, you almost need like a, a totally new different style of leadership for every person that you're engaging with because everyone's personalities are so different. So leadership is one of the most uh, challenging aspects of running my company in my experience. Yeah, absolutely. Stepping up and, and holding that leadership position because it's, it's hard to lead all the time, right? My question to you, Greg, is with that grit, what are some key characteristics or attributes that you've noticed in some of 
some of the high level players that you're working with that you can speak to, to the average painter that's starting their own business? Like what are key attributes with regarding this grit? Yeah. You know, um, a, a lot of times what you might face more than anything is, is customers. And you're dealing with every type of personality you could imagine, right? So you have like, you have a middle-aged mom who's got, uh, you know, a, a five-year-old and a baby uh, when you come to the door, or you've got uh, an old man who's retired, who's breathing down your neck, watching every step you're doing as part of the painting process, um, or that just wanted to talk your ear off. Uh, and you just, you want to shoo them away and say, can I just do my job? Can I just, I'm just, can I just, you're kind of like, come on. And, uh, but you run into these people and, um, and so you, 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 and dealing with customers takes a bit of grit. Um, and it also takes a certainly, uh, a, a certain level of finesse. And, you know, I kind of bring that back to, um, important series of comments. Uh, well, actually a, a great resource. His name's Ken Blanchard and Ken Blanchard's a phenomenal sales coach. Um, and he, he, he's almost legendary. I, well, he, in fact, he is legendary and I've got a couple things here. Maybe I could take you share maybe seven. I had, I, I have seven steps from Ken Blanchard on, uh, on service that I could tie into, into, um, into leadership and grit. And here they are. So Ken talks about the concepts of legendary service can be applied by employees and managers at all levels of any organization. Creating legendary service is everyone's job. The kind that people tell their friends about, and it can be rare. The key is to care. Begins with leaders who believe outstanding service is a top priority. Creating a service culture starts from the inside with your internal customers, your people. Your people. Your people. And when empowered people believe that caring for customers is vital to their company's success, they will want to know, they will want to show care in everything that they do. Your customers will become a big part of your sales force. And I and the reason why it's so important on legendary service is because it touches so many aspects. And um, sometimes you you've you, you got out of bed on the you got out on the wrong side of bed and you're just Oh, you didn't get your coffee on time. You're just a few minutes late because of traffic. And um, you're not feeling up for giving legendary service today. You, d- you just don't, <laughs> you don't think you have it in you. But the truth is you do. You do. If you, with, with that grit and with that sense of care that what you do for the company in terms of how you approach a customer or a situation is going to make them, your company successful. It'll make you successful. Uh, and that hair, just that inherent nature to, 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 to want to support um, a win-win situation for everybody. That is like kind of like, that's like a centering rod and a lightning rod at the same time. And uh, you can pull strength from that. And um, that's a, it's just a pretty important foundational principle of, um, of, uh, of legendary service. So. Yeah, so quick question on that. You, you mentioned the caring as being critical to that. And I've witnessed that myself um, when I'm working with someone, trying to teach someone, and they, 
it's almost like there's an attitude of this is good enough. And when I try to teach people that is not, it's the answer always seems to be, well, who cares? So how can you teach caring to people? Is it a learnable skill set? You know, I've heard uh, quite a few times that uh, you you hire on motivation and train on skill, not the other way around. Uh, you don't hire on skill and train on motivation because if somebody comes in with the right attitude, you can you they, they'll they'll have a growth mindset. They'll they'll have a an approach to lifelong learning uh, uh, that you can't teach. You j- just kind of comes inherently in people, and you can it, it, you can see it um, in the way they communicate with their hands, their body language. Uh, whereas somebody that's uh, you know that's highly skilled but just a jerk. Um, there's not a lot you can do to, to, to shift their mindset. There's only so far you can bring them down the road until you say, okay, I, I think just we've kind of reached a, a, an inflection point in the road and mm-hmm. you're, you know, you've kind of shut off the tap to, to learning and I can no longer help you and you can no longer help me. So it's time mm-hmm. to end it. And it's just a, so yeah, I got just the point is higher on um, motivation and, and train on skill. Okay. Yeah, I also say it's like you can you can train anybody to do anything physically, but it's very difficult to build character. It's very difficult to train character. Character is like an essence of who you are, and part of that character is habit forming. So, Greg, my question to you is: of this grit, is grit something that you just pull out of a hat, or is grit something you train for? so that it becomes a habitual concept. Yeah, I mean, Clay, uh, way in here too. The um, <laughs> You have to train for grit. I mean, there's, cer- there's certainly a spark inside of you. Um, you know, you, you have a, you're, you're trying to fulfill your, a, a vision of sorts. Like you, if you look, if you're the type of person that looks to the future and you, you know, you're trying to get a point on that to, to the center of the bullseye and you might zig and zag a bit, but um, it, 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 your your vision will help guide you, um, and it, it's something you have to constantly improve, enhance, and work on uh, to expand the, kind of your capacity for grit. You have to, you know, to keep working at it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think the biggest thing is it. It's funny because numbers are just numbers. So ten cents, one dollar, a hundred dollars, thousand dollars, hundred thousand. When you're talking about multinational companies that you deal with on a daily basis, they're no different from your average Joe guy, except they've trained for something specific, and they've honed in on something. So as a painting company, you generally need a team. Now, a one man guy can make a hundred grand a year pretty simply, uh, maybe with a helper. But once you start getting a team, it becomes a lot more complicated. Let's go into the aspect of leadership and why why companies that you work with succeed in life and how their leadership skills actually make the difference versus the ones you see that spike and then drop back down and then you never hear about them again. So what would you say about leadership that's super critical that a average painting company can kind of take from you today and say, ah, that's what I need to work on. Or, you know, that's how I want to be with my team. Right. Well, I'll give you an example. So I, I customer service orientation is going to be that 
that that breadwinner for you. I mean, that's going to help generate your internal sales force, your people to 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 be motivated to 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 speak about your company to to customers the way that you would speak about your company. But then also, um, you know, a customer service orientation is going to uh, turn your customers into advocates for you, and they'll become part of your sales force. So you can like double double your capacity for your sales force by just doing a a killer job every single time because you care because you give a shit. Um, but I'll give you an example. There's a entrepreneur out of Vancouver. You might be familiar with his name's Brian Scudamore. Uh, he's a founder of one 800 got junk, uh, which is a junk removal service. You've probably seen their trucks, uh, but he's created a franchise model business and he's got wow. One day painters and uh, shine shack. And so he's created this model, but the, 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 the this parent company is called, um, uh, ordinary is called O2E brands. And that parent company, the O2E stands for ordinary to exceptional brands. And I swear, Brian Scudamore, who's, I don't know, one hundred got junks doing about 495 million a year run rate in revenue. Um, so about half a billion a year. Um, and you know, I swear he's a lot of his lessons uh, in developing a team and a team spirit and all these things, these internal sales advocates with your people and then with your customers is about the customer service orientation. I, I just swear he's been reading and following Ken Blanchard for for decades because he's built, you know, he, he's now got, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of employees, uh, hundreds of uh, franchisees uh, and he's been able to create a pretty impressive brand. So, Yeah, I, that, that's what I find interesting is, is when you look at entrepreneurs that are successful, um, they've gone from the tacti tactician to the actual entrepreneur. It's the hat we wear, right? The e-myth, the book talks about it. You know, you should be a little bit of a technician, a little bit of a manager, a little bit of an entrepreneur. However, the real successful people learn how to position themselves out of that technician because most painter, painting businesses start off as painters. And right. so they say, oh, I can do that. I want to start my own company. So they do, but they don't necessarily know business uh, and they fall right back into that technician and mm -hmm. they have to do it themselves and they have to fix it. Well, if you're constantly in working in your business, you can't work on your business. And it's that slight distinction that I find entrepreneurs um, know, or they're just, they're a little bit more tuned in than your average painter. Clay, when you started your painting company, uh, what was the biggest challenge you found with respect to like shifting out of that position of painter into actual manager and entrepreneur? Uh, yeah, that was definitely a massive roadblock for me uh, because I did sort of stay in this role of I had to do the key things myself in order for my business to maintain um, that level of quality that I that I wanted to have uh, so that my clients were those advocates for me. Uh, so it definitely took me some time to sort of transition. Um, and also in the painting industry, it's very difficult to find people. So it took me a long time to be able to create a crew where I didn't need to be the lead, the lead on the crew. And then as I was trying to do that and I kept getting pulled into running the crew and trying to run the business, then it was always juggling that time between how much time can I work on my business this week? Cause I can't really grow 
until I work on my business. But if I'm not working on my business, then I don't have the work for the people that I want to trust to the job. So it's like a teeter totter and you never really have a balance of it. And you can't really make any progress on working on the business until you fully commit onto one end of the spectrum. So it's definitely one of the biggest challenges that I face. Yeah, leadership, that's that's always a challenge and it's always a struggle. You're constantly learning. I'm constantly reading and learning and, you know, understanding, like you said, Greg, your internal customers, that's your employees. They're your customers. And actually, in fact, they're your sales agents too. And if they're not happy in your organization, they can actually self-sabotage your company. Oh, they can just dismantle all the success you've built almost overnight. And that's why Absolutely. hiring and motivation is so big. And um, maybe I'll just come back to this point here that Clay made, you know, about, uh, you know, you're talking about working in your, in your business or on your business. Um, you know, I was just looking at some, some work from Vern Harnish, who's, uh, from gazelles, he's a, a growth international or, uh, you know, he's actually the founder of entrepreneurs organization. Um, I worked there for about seven years and so I was kind of reviewing some of his material. He's got a, a recent book called scaling forward and, uh, on the topic of people, uh, here's a couple of practical things for your viewers right now. He asks three questions and then he gives you an opportunity to actually write something down. So if you have a pen and paper and you're listening, um, get ready for, for this. So here's three questions. Who will you pursue at the top? We're talking about people who, when you're talking about working on your business, okay. To grow to, to to actually grow to the next hundred thousand dollars in sales or the next half a million in sales or whatever to go to the this these are questions you can continually ask yourself to go from a hundred thousand half a million million two million ten million and up everybody can do this is so one who will you pursue at the top leadership co-owners who are who are some of the best talent that you can bring in. Uh, to help you thrive, to what, where can you pull strengths from other extremely talented people and bring them into your inner circle? So who can you pull, who can you pursue at the top? Number two is who will you pursue for partnerships or acquisitions? Uh, so that could be, ex who can you tap into that has existing audiences? So if you look at partnerships, you know, you can, um, for marketing, it's always great if you can, you know, speak to an existing audience, you know, on YouTube, um, uh, related to painters or to paint or something that's, uh, maybe perhaps adjacent, uh, but still, you know, close to your field of work that, you know, that might be a relevant target audience. Uh, so through partnerships, you can get interviews, you can get articles written about yourself, but who will you pursue for partnerships and acquisitions? Um, where can you, derive additional value from other people. And then the third part is, um, who will you pursue in the market? So here's your opportunity to name five people in the next 90 days that you will be in contact with to help grow your business. Start making the list. Yeah, that's amazing. Those are good questions to ask. And I think as a leader in a painting business, you really do have to constantly 
add uh, questions and review certain questions on a monthly basis. Later in this show, I'm going to show you uh, what we call a SWOT analysis. It's nothing new. I didn't create it. It's a strength, weakness, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats matrix. And it really helps you kind of see an overview of your business and helps you direct your business. And if you do this on a, on a regular basis, asking these same questions, you can start mapping out where you're going. Uh, Greg, you sent me a podcast the other day from a lady named April Dunford who's uh, talking about product positioning. And when I read it, I or when I listened to it, I, I, I kind of just listened to that in a painting aspect. And she says there's six questions that she asks all the time with respect to positioning your painting business or with, with her product. So for the painters watching this, this is all about positioning your painting company. You got to remember, not every painting company is your competition. So when you say, who are my competitors? You say, oh, everybody's my, all the painting companies. No, that's not true. Who are the painting companies you're bidding against? Those are your competitors. So anyways, what she says is she says every painter or every business owner should ask these simple questions on a regular basis. The first one is customer discovery. Who loves your job or who loves your, your business or your service or your value? Who thinks it's just okay mm -hmm. and who doesn't care? Understanding who your customer is critical, right? Second is, who do I got to beat to get the job? Knowing who's your customer, who's your competitors. Not everybody's your competitor, right? Not every painting company is the same. Uh, what do you have as a painting company that's different from your competitors? Very critical. Well, that's what they call the unique, unique selling proposition. Anybody can paint. So what do you have to offer that will beat the other guy? Is it that you have a no smoking policy on the job site? Is it that you have a no stereo blasting policy? Is it that you give five-year warranty versus three-year? Do you have five million liability versus two million? There's all these differentiating factors. Uh, another aspect, another question she asks is, what value can I deliver uh, that different competitors don't? And that differentiates myself from those competitors. Um, who is my target market? As a painting company, not everybody is your target market. So writing these things down and making a list of it and looking at it on a regular basis, uh, as entrepreneurs, as business owners, we tend to fall in love with our company. We think we, it's kind of like our children. Oh, they're more beautiful little children. It's, it's our painting company. It's this, it's that. But at the end of the day, uh, that's one of the biggest pitfalls is falling in love with your brand, falling in love with your company, not really asking these hard questions that allow you to pivot and be open-minded so that you can find this discovery of growth. Um, so, so, so thank you for showing, showing that podcast to me about positioning. Uh, Clay, I just wanted to know from you, um, what was one of the biggest things that you kind of stepping in from a painter to a painting business, uh, how did you position your painting company different? What did you discover about yourself that was different from other painting companies? Uh, I knew that I had some service skills to, uh, differentiate myself and I actually chose to not follow the advice of everyone that I had talked to when I started my company. Uh, the advice was go find a contractor, show him that you can do good work and he'll keep you busy. Uh, I didn't do a single new construction project with any contractors for about a year and a half. What I did is I went directly to real estate agents and I knew I needed to fill my schedule now uh, instead of in like four months when the project is going to be ready for painting and new construction. So I went after real estate agents. I said, I can do great work 
and I am presentable. So I'm someone who I think you can trust to, to refer me to your clients. And a lot of my work came right off the bat from real estate agents who were saying, hey, I got this house that's on that's going to be um, taking possession on this date. Can I book you for that date? Or it was, hey, my client wants to put their house on the market. Are you available next week? So I differentiated myself by going after real estate agents and presenting myself as someone who is trustable to be able to uh, be referred by them. And because I was new, uh, I knew that my pricing wasn't going to be the same as some of the more high-end uh, com companies. And I knew that uh, I had the ability to do the same level of work. So my tagline was actually where, uh, where professionalism meets affordability. So I wanted to really put myself on that level, uh, nice. but then also say I'm affordable um, to get that uh, promise as well. So affordability mixed with professionalism and going after real estate agents for referrals is sort of what I did, which was a little bit different from everybody else. Yeah. Cause what I noticed about the painting industry is that price is a huge factor for most, for most homeowners, for yeah. most people, uh, price is always, you know, always at the top forefront. You could have the best service, the best guarantee, the best guys, the best that, but, when you get when they get the price, like unless it's an elite customer that just wants it done right by you and knows your service, then it's very difficult to uh, have a high price. So price is always something that's considered, um, at least with with what I've noticed when I'm giving bids, is that prices there's that negotiation of price that happens somewhere down the line, and you've got to be open to to kind of. And there always seems to be an assumption from the homeowner that. Um, they're getting the exact same thing, but the price might be different for what they're getting. Whereas yeah. I find that a lot of the times the difference between my price and someone else's price is that I'll be doing like three st steps in the prep process, whereas someone else will just be doing one. So the difference in price, is it just a higher wage or is it more value, more service that you're offering? And it's difficult for the homeowner to figure that out for when they're just looking at quotes. Can I, can I ask you guys, so on them pricing um, and just your experience in the industry, do you uh, have like, a, when you do a bid, is it like just a single price that you just like, boom, it's going to be 2,500 bucks for this? Or is there a range? Is there, do you have like a, do you have packages? Do you have like two or three prices? Is that, is it? Does that occur or how does that work? Clay, I'll let you, let you respond to that one. Uh, I was going to put you on the spot first. <laughs> um, I think it depends because I've sort of done it all. Uh, I've had projects where the clients are saying, well, this is the price that I'm up against. And I'll look at it and just go, well, if you want to go the, down that route, that's up to you. Um, what, and then I'll reiterate the extra value that I'm going to get. If you want to go with me, you're going to get this, but it doesn't look like you're going to get that there. So if you want to go with that, like that's up to you. Some clients that I've had, um, have shown me that price and I've made the decision myself to go, okay, I can do this project for that price and let them know like, here, I'll, I'm, 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 bad. Uh, I'm happy to do a favor for you. And 
you've been a great client so sure let's do this i want to make sure that i'm competitive on pricing i want to make sure that you don't feel like i'm trying to gouge you in any way but nice. just hush hush because i'm not going to give a discount to anybody the worst thing that i've ever or the most annoying thing that i've ever experienced is someone comes to me and goes hey here's the bottom line that you need to do and if you can give me this price i'll give you lots of work and i'm like well why would i want to be business minimum wage that doesn't have any like no get out of here leave me alone so it's sort of the the price isn't always set in stone uh it's a flexibility thing um and but you got to know who your client is before you start to play around with that because some people will just take advantage of you hmm. paul what yeah. do you think yeah I, in my experience um there's no right and wrong about pricing because pricing is communicating so again, business is about relationships. Relationships is about communication. That's my theory. That's my, um, my belief system when it comes to business, no matter what it is, painting, tile, you know, lawyers, doctors, whatever, this is business. We're talking about relationships. There's only one P and that's people without people. There's no products. There's no placement. There's no positioning. There's no nothing. So, so I would argue that, uh, you know, making, making a quote, there's no right or wrong. I generally just say, this is my price and this is the value you get. Um, I know some painting companies and other contractors that give a low price and a high price and they say it's going to fall within this. Um, that can be, that's not clear. That can be confusing to some homeowners. However, mm -hmm. that presents options to homeowners to say, oh, well, what does this mean? And that what that does is that allows you dialogue. That allows you to communicate more. And if you're a good sales and if you understand sales, then you can now bring in the sales position and show them what they get for this low one. And what it's kind of like tears, right? Um, however, I've noticed that if I just stick to my guns and say, this is who I am, this is what I provide, this is the value, this is the trust that you're going to get with me. Um, Nine times out of ten, you're eliminating the calories of thought in the head of the of the of the homeowner. And furthermore, Donald Miller he uh, wrote a book called Story Brand. He's an awesome educator mentor. Uh, he always talks about that. It's kind of like the hero's journey. So, like you said, Clay, um, you, you, you this is this this is the customer's story. This is their journey. It's they're the hero. The customer's not always right, but they're the, always the hero. And so at the end of the day, you want to make them win. You don't want to make them wrong. You want to make them right. And it doesn't mean being a yes man all the time, but what it means is allowing them to know that you're there. So if they say, hey, Paul, I got that. There's building. Nice. There, there, there it is. So <laughs> if you're in business, you need to read this book. That's the best advice that anyone will ever give you. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and like he says, the customer is the hero and it's their journey and price discovery is part of their journey. And that's part of the roadblock. The villain is the, is, is the, is the high price. The, the villain is the guy that doesn't, you know, the bad painter or whatever. So the story brand talks about the hero's journey of your customer. Painting is no different. It's no different. So coming back to your question, Greg, there's no right way to price. Uh, sometimes people say this is the base price and everything cost plus is X amount per, you know, or whatever. Right. So I think the clearer you are in your communication, the clearer you are in your pricing, um, allows more dialogue and communication, which hopefully leads to the sales sales conversion, because there's client, um, you want to get that client 
and then you want to sell it, then you want to convert it, and then you want to maintain it. It's a life cycle, life cycle in business. Doesn't matter if you're a painting business, a roofer, a gutter cleaner, uh, a framer. Doesn't matter. It's all the same. So uh, you know, I hope that answers your question with respect to that, Greg, with pricing, because it is all over the maps. And I'm on Facebook, and I've every other post on Fainer, on painters Facebook groups is how much should I charge for this? How much should I charge for that? And almost always, the number one thing I reply to is how much value are you bringing? Right. Because your price reflects your value, right? That's just it. Yeah. And where do you sit in terms of the marketplace? Are you good, better, or best? And you price off kind of that equation. And there's, um, you know, you, you kind of have like a, in a uh, looking at painting, it's a, it's a localized thing. Um, and so how much available pot potential economic, uh, how much money is available in that marketplace that you can tap into? Um, and, and, and then how do you derive a profit from, from where you fit on that map of a high price? You know, do you, you know, it's kind of, um, if you're in a rich community, you can charge more, right? If you're in a, <laughs> if you're in a poorer community, the expectation is that you're providing a lower price service, generally speaking. However, you, you know, you'll find almost anywhere you go that you will always find a higher price a higher price service and a low price service in both rich communities and poor communities so the the, the map is it doesn't they don't coalesce in any one particular spot it's always there's always a range of service offerings and prices in your market and it could this applies to kind of any product or service so uh okay. It's really important just to define where either you're good, better, or best, and then what, how much value you're willing to put in uh, to, to, to fulfill the expectation of that customer. That's right. Yeah, I often try to explain painting to my clients in terms of um, food uh, and that you can go and get a McDonald's hamburger and you can go to the keg and get a steak. And they're going to be very different prices. They're going to be very different experiences, but they're both beef. And you'll get painting that's cheap and expensive. And it's may not be the same thing, even though it's both painting results. Right. So true. Well, so, Greg, let's just wrap this up for the next 10 minutes or so. Uh, you're the director of entrepreneurship and innovation at YPO, Young Presidents Organization, huge multinational organization. Google it if you're watching the show. You don't know what it is. Uh, so innovation, let's go there because now we're in 2021, things are changing, economics are changing, uh, politics is changing, sociographics, like so, the, the, so, so societies are changing, everything is changing, technology is changing. So let's really nail this hyper-focus for painting companies. What do painting companies have to do with respect to innovation to stay on top of their game and is it important to be innovative? And what are Critical. the what are the cons of being too innovative sometimes, mm. specifically for a painting industry? Mm. So what can you what can you give to the viewer here that will allow them to understand uh, what innovation is and why it's important to incorporate that in their business now in the 2020s and further? Right. Okay. So I mean innovation is it's about as cliche as entrepreneurship it's a big <laughs> vague overused term but it's so critical because um it, it it's it allows you to stay alive into the future as everybody's j jockeying for a position to grab that next customer 
uh, and keep that customer as a, you know, the lifetime value as a customer. They say is you need to constantly be innovating, improving, and, and explaining what your USP is, uh, why you're better, why you're different. And um, so again, uh, simple, simple things. I do have a, I have a definition for innovation. I have two definitions for innovation I'll give you right now. And then I actually have a fun little quote from Justine Musk, who is Elon Musk's ex-wife, if, uh, if you'll allow me. But uh, let me explain. Let me, let me share these definitions of innovation. It could be one, anything that is new, useful, and surprising. That's a very, that's a very simple definition. Anything that is new, useful, and surprising. A more technical definition could be an innov innovation is the development of a process or technology that enhances the value to a customer offering for a product, service, or experience that is perceived as new and is adopted by customers. So a process or technology, that's where let's, pro let's, let's pull those two pieces out. Uh, a lot, most people think that innovation is just purely technologically driven. No, no, no. Innovation is actually starts at its base at a, as a process. You can't build a technology until you've built and defined a new process. So process innovation is, is the most, uh, is, is the largest form of innovation you'll see. Uh, and it's about iteration and constantly improving the small tweaks, right? And so that's important, but um, why it's important. So here's Justine Musk. <laughs> she's, she's just a, she's a bit of a wild child. And uh, so here's, here's an interesting one. So, Choose one thing and become a master of it. Choose a second thing and become a master of that. When you become a master of two worlds, say engineering and business, you can bring them together in a way that will A, introduce hot ideas to each other so they can have idea sex and make idea babies <laughs> that no one has seen before. And B, Create competitive advantage because you can move between worlds, speak both languages, connect the tribes, mash the elements to spark fresh creative insight until you wake up with the epiphany that changes your life. So, <laughs> I just always laughing. I love the babies. Make, make innovative baby. That's awesome. So when you say processes, uh, what I hear is like within my painting business, what is the process for setting up a job site? What is the process for arriving at a job site? Yes. Um, these are what system, these are systems that, you know, you're, when you're working on your business, you're creating systems. So that means we all arrive at the same time. We all show up with whites. We all park on the road. We don't park in their driveway, blocking them in because they got to get to work or whatever the reason, or Precisely. Your, your truck leaks oil. So you never park in their driveway. You know what I mean? Now that you don't want a truck that leaks oil, but that's very common in the trades. Um, so processes, Clay, what kind of processes did you create in your business systems that really, you know, that really helped you propel so that you didn't have to think about it on, on a daily basis? Uh, probably the job site uh, cleanup, cleanup on a daily basis. So that at the end of the day, all of my stuff is just in one pile underneath a drop stick, uh, drop sheet. Uh, the last thing that a client wants is to come home to a construction site. Uh, so to make sure that everything, it doesn't even look like we've been there. Uh, that was really important to me. And people that didn't get that within the first week or two, just you couldn't be on the team. Um, and organization as well. Um, for me, I'm a big like nerd on time management. So if you're spending time looking for tools, 
then you're wasting your time. Uh, so to have everything organized so that when you know you need something to be able to walk over and grab it, because I figure every minute or every second that you spend looking for something is a minute wasted on a project in terms of the budget. So organization and cleanup. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I, we've talked about this on other podcasts where, um, you know, a painter will set up a 32 foot ladder or 40 foot ladder. And that takes like 10 minutes, right? And then they'll go up the ladder and then they'll forget the caulking gun. And they'll have to come back down. They'll grab the caulking gun. Then they'll go back to the ladder, take another 45 seconds to go to the top, get positioned then real, and then spill some paint or something. And then, oh, where's my rag? And realize they don't have a rag. So they go back down the ladder to get a rag and then they come back up. And so it's like literally something that should take maybe 10 minutes took an hour. And it's because they didn't have a process, a system. So when we're talking about innovation, we're not, like you said, Greg, we're not necessarily talking about technolo technological innovation, although there is an aspect to that and we'll get to that in a minute. But processes within, with respect to innovation are um, things that really, like you said, Clay, minimize your time, that take less brain power. So what I do is I have a five-gallon pail. And before I go up on my ladder and I tell all my, my, my painters this and everybody I work with is get a hook on that pail. Then when you – in that pail, it's an empty pail, you put your caulking gun, you put your dust brush – you put a little razor blade just in case there's paint on the glass. Uh, put your rag in there. Um, your five-way can be in there. Anything can be in that. And then you carry that whole thing up so that when you're up there, you have something to work from. And then you can continue to work in your workspace or your office space up on that 32-foot ladder. I hate 32-foot ladders. I hate 40-foot ladders. But at the end of the day, somebody's got to do it, right? So those are processes, innovative processes. Now, when it comes to techno technological innovation, um, would a website be a technological innovation in your opinion, Greg? Oh, I think you're muted there. Uh, sorry. So not anymore. A website, it's, uh, it's a standard issue. You, it's a must-have. It's I, I don't know if I would consider that an innovation per se. So having a website isn't necessarily an innovation. What would you consider a technological innovation uh, with respect to a painting company? Or well, yeah. Um, so an innovation again. I, I like to look at the adjacent possible. There's a man named Maurizio Travaglini out of uh, Italy, and he talks about the adjacent possible. So what? What's a you're you're in a room or you're in an industry, and you want to go open a door to the next room to to keep exploring. So that would be a, an adjacent room to yours. So or an adjacent industry. So you know what's what's another relative, you know, uh painting, you have home builders, you've got uh realtors, you've got chamois, you've got these different tools, you've got maybe a, a car wash company, you've got um you know people that are providing materials towards uh for application. Maybe it's a coatings company. Uh, mm -hmm. that does uh, some type of, d d gets rid of the sun, it, the, the impact of weathering on the sun, on, on the home and the paint. And maybe there's something, an additive that you can put, maybe it's fuel additive that you can put into your painter over top. So what's an adjacent <laughs> industry that might complement something in your existing industry? So how can you innovate that way? Um, and why that's really a critical is, uh, what if one of your competitors stumbles upon something that, <laughs> you know, 5X is the value proposition that you're offering, but they're offering it for essentially 
just a few bucks more. Um, they'll pretty pretty soon they'll they'll uh, position you out of the marketplace that you're in, and um, and they will capture most of the profit share, not just the market share, but more importantly the profit share in that total addressable market. So innovation is uh, critical to kind of do or die, as they say. Yeah. Um, so when I when I think of innovation, it's very interesting because I still get resumes from painters that don't have phones. They just I don't have a phone. And it's like, really? Um, I think I think personally, like with 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 respect to my clientele, it's like I always ask the client, how do you prefer to be communicated to email, text, phone? I always ask them that because there's a lot of different communication channels. And so some clients use, you know, chat and they say, oh, I'm, I'm on WeChat or I'm on, you know, and any whatever chat messenger, you know, that's out there. Can you can communicate, communicate with me through text or communicate me with through email? Because it's right there. It's on my desk. So and at the same notion. Uh, I find a lot of painters are tradesmen and they're not intuitive when it comes to technology, um, which kind of segues into what Trusted House Painter is. TrustedHousePainter.com is a platform that allows painters to sign up for a free platform, free membership, one pager. If you don't have a website, it's a perfect replacement for it. Give you an invite button, a review button. It allows homeowners to come and view you, find you and request your painting services because it's a super niche platform specifically for painters. So um, we created Trusted House Painter and this broadcast and the Academy based on this new innovation of technology. And that is how to get homeowners to find painters or your painting business faster than other people. Um, so that was another aspect of innovation that uh, we kind of brought together um, so that painters don't have to be so tech savvy. Because it's complicated designing your own website. Uh, you need to, like, there's Squarespace, there's WordPress, there's all these other places. But you still, there's a learning curve to that. And that takes a lot of time. So your um, innovation was enhancing speed to customer acquisition, essentially. Correct. And also communication. Right. It's all about communication, right? right? The whole internet is about communicate. Information is all about communication. And getting there as fast as you can to make it easy on both people's uh, point, both people's part. Um, what are the pitfalls of being too innovative within your industry? If there's any, are there any pitfalls to being too innovative? Absolutely. Uh, 100%. If you're so innovative that you're actually <laughs> missing the beat on what your customer's telling you, they're not going to understand what the hell it is you're talking about. You To try and get them to, to from, you know... <laughs> spreadsheets to tokens to artifacts is like you can't go from spreadsheets to artifacts you can't go from uh so you're like already wondering what the hell is greg talking about you can't skip steps you have to meet the customer where they are uh many times and that's why it's so important at the foundational level to really listen to your customer at the end of the day net net they're going to rave about you because you're fulfilling the thing that they're asking for um, and so if you go too far down the road, you might be too early. You might burn a bunch of cash. You might, um, you, you know, it, and the burning cash is, is it, you know, sucks. Um, unless it's going to start, you know, pulling some 
return for you. But uh, yeah, you have to meet the customer where they are, understand, hear from them. Uh, if they're on step two of a three-step process, that's helpful. If you can, then you can start looking at taking them from step two to step three. But if they're still on step one, uh, then you have to bring them, you have to create that bridge to step two. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot that can go wrong with innovating too early. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, one, one thing that I've noticed is that there are still homeowners that don't have email. I say, what's your email address? And they're like, uh, I don't have email. Can you uh, mail it to me? <laughs> and I laugh, but that's an insult to them because I'm so much more advanced than them with the innovation. Simple technology, email, I've had it for 30 years now, right? <laughs> but they have never had it. And so you got, like you said, you got to speak their language. You got to listen to what they're saying. Um, Clay, have you noticed any kind of pitfalls with respect to innovation, technological innovation with your clientele that has kind of hindered a job or, you know, you notice that, okay, this person needs to be their hand held. Has there any been any situations in your career, in your painting career that, you know, too much innovation was a problem for, for certain painters or for, for certain homeowners? Um, it's a tough one. I don't really have anything popping into my mind right now. Um, I guess with the recent uh, advances in paint technology, um, I guess it's pretty easy to confuse a homeowner with all the different uh, options available to them. Yeah. And sometimes there they do just want to um, have their hand held and you know, you're saying you could you could spend extra money to get this. You could spend extra money to get that, uh, and then the homeowner just goes, "I just I'm going to trust you to pick the right product for me." Um, so probably just sort of managing that level of understanding for the homeowner to sort of just tell them what's best for their house to protect it from the elements, the rain, the sun. Yeah, there's a thing that uh, I've heard before. It's called paralysis by analysis. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you try and sell your customer something, and especially like you make a good point, Clay, about technology in the paint industry. It's constantly changing and it's it's ever adapting and it's always these new products. Uh, and it's overwhelming from a painter standpoint. Like I know Sherwin-Williams has all these product lines with all these different sheen levels and it's like, whoa, what's going on? So, um <laughs> So, so I, I think you're right there, Clay. Like when you, when you do an estimate, when you meet the homeowner, I don't know what you do, but I always give like pamphlets and brochures that I got from the paint store to help sell myself, to help sell the product, to help guide the homeowner down the path so that they know what they're getting, how they're getting it, what the result would look like, the benefit of the benefit. Um, and sometimes I see that glaze go over their eyes <laughs> and they're just yeah. like, uh, I don't know what he's talking about. And that's one of my cues to like, shut it, Paul, you know, just start taking notes. What do they want? Right. Right. Write down what they want, what they need and, and kind of quit there. So that's how I kind of meant with innovation being too complex sometimes. So you bring up a very good point there. Well, meet the customer where they are, um, make it easy for them. And Clay, you did a great job of just breaking down to simple terms and uh, be, be position yourself as the, uh, expert and the easy solutions provider. Um, you know, there's, when you look at Amazon, okay, one while, you know, 
the most successful company is, I guess, in the history of the world. Uh, the you know, um, at their daily meeting at the C-suite, they ask themselves this question: the leaders obsess about what can we do to make it even easier for our customer. So hmm. even in the C-suite, all of their chief officers are saying, "What they obsess about this." And their daily meeting, what can we do to make it even easier for our customer? That's their baseline. Um, and it, again, coming back, meet the customer where they are. Position yourself as that expert. And um, just if we start throwing in jargon and things about sheen and stuff like that, you're, they're going to go glaze over. And yeah. it doesn't that doesn't make a difference to them. They want to know, what do I get for this price? Or can, is there a smaller price package that I can buy? Right. And, uh, and, and I, maybe I can come back just to the pricing a little bit. There was, um, uh, I, I've heard, I've seen a lot of research done that, um, when, if you, if you have multiple price points and maybe a different service packages that you offer lead with the more expensive package first, and then come down in price to your, to, to your lower tier products, but always start with gold and then go silver and then go, you know, standard service sort of thing. Um, effectively you can, you know, Harvard Business Reviews put put this put this through good testing. Is that uh, you will increase your profitability, or you'll increase your pardon me your 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 revenue share uh, on that higher order ticket um, by double digits in many cases. So uh, that's a nice little tactic: is start with the higher price and then work low when you present yeah, that's the good. offer. That's good advice, Clay. Awesome. Well, I think we should wrap it up here. Any last words, Clay, or any last words there, uh, Greg, with respect to the leadership, small businesses with respect to painting, what do you think that painters, um, owners, painters that are thinking about starting their own painting company and a painter that's been around and they've kind of plateaued and they're kind of getting burnt out from your position, uh, working with huge companies, <clears throat> really high level, what would you say to the average painting company that would give them a little bit of boost uh, that they can apply practical advice into their painting business today and make it make them more successful. The key is to care. Uh, when you're when you're fired up, um, that's going to resonate through everybody in your organization. And um, uh, you know, you, when you're excited for the day, that's just going to be so infectious um, for your people, uh, for your customers who are, are also part of your sales force. Um, and, you know, Clay brought out something just, you know, a few minutes ago was, um, you know, if you're, if you're not following the procedure, you're not cleaning up at the end of the day, um, and it's, you, you don't find that important, uh, then I, you, you're not on the team. And a, a process, you know, just on, on that team component, because you're dealing with people, this is a people, highly people focused business, you know, like, cause you're dealing with, con you know, construction type people, it's kind of you know, there's paint, there's stuff. It's a bit messy. Um, and you're, you know, you're showing up at people's homes and things like that. So the more polish you can have, but, um, if somebody's not prepared to be, to, to be a team player, or if they're not feeling the mojo that you have, um, you know, that can, that can apply high level to any business, but as certainly at the painting level, when you're dealing with a lot of customer facing work. So there's one question which predicts most effectively whether you'll be on a high performance team or on a low performance team. And I'll leave this with you guys. At work, do you have an opportunity to do what you do best? 
So ask your employees or, or, and think about your think about yourself at work. Do you have an opportunity to do what you do best? So we're applying strengths as a as a as a uh, as a process. Okay, so we're utilizing people's strengths inside the company. This is essentially a business case for strengths. Um, those teams that say they do have the opportunity to do what they do best every day, uh, massively and consistently outperform those teams that say they don't. So let me just, this is uh, this is some information from Marcus uh, Buckingham. And, um, and just the last part of this is, you will feel more profitable, more productive, more likely to stick around. You are less likely to have accidents on the job. You are less likely to sue for accidents on the job, less likely to steal, all of these aspects come down to if your strengths are in play. So motivate your team. Le delegate authority. Leverage their strengths. You'll have a highly productive, high-performance team. And, and if, they, if they agree that they're a high-performance team, then you know you're on the right path to success. Cool. That's great. That's great mm -hmm. advice. Clay, do you have any last words with respect to... Uh you know, advice that a painting business could have today, use today to make, to become more successful today? Um, well, if it was last week, I would say time management, get your time management down because um, that's going to determine your results and your results is how much money you make at the end of the day. But I think really the, the caring, uh, as Greg says, um, choose to care. Like, I don't know what it takes for other people to care, uh, to make that choice for themselves, but read all the books, uh, get the feedback from your clients, just choose to care because that puts you on a whole nother level in your business that people can't really compete against. And if you don't care, then it makes it very difficult for you to compete against the best. Yeah, that's... That's excellent advice. Excellent advice. Caring. I always tell my, you know, the workers that are on site, it's like treat it as if it's your own, like as if it's your parents' home because most painters don't necessarily have a home nice. or they're young workers. I say treat it like it's like the home that you live in. Great treat example. Like home, right? So, and always make it a better place, you know, make yeah. it better than you found it. You know, you do trample in bushes. You do got to, you know, things do happen. But at the end of the day, care about what you're doing, care about the client, care about what they say. Um, yeah, absolutely. And my, my piece of advice to any painter that's watching right now that you can become more successful today is really fundamental. And it's don't make the customer wrong. Yeah. Uh, when the customer says, Hey, can I paint that? No, you can't paint that. Hey, well, well could you do this while well, we're supposed to be leaving tomorrow? You know, ah, oh, there's, that's not part of the contract or whatever. You know what I mean? Or, you know, parking in their driveway. And not allowing them to park in their drive. Now they got to bring their grocery bags all the way down. And, you know, uh, also not making them wrong is also um, when it comes to negotiation, as we talked about with Clay, finding that balance and letting them win in a way uh, and not making them wrong and making them feel as if, oh, well, like, Hmm. Now I got to go back to this drawing board. My, my story is over. So my advice is don't make them wrong always make them win find a win-win situation and uh i think the inv information that you guys you guys gave just now was was critical right so care have a good team 
uh, inspire your team, lead. I think that's uh, pretty good. So anyways, Greg, I want to wrap this video up and I just, I really want to thank you for being on the call here and giving us your wisdom and your advice uh, with to big strategy talks. We're going to talk more about this in future podcasts because really there's a lot painting is very physical, but business is very uh, cerebral. It's very uh, intangible. And I think if you really want to excel your business, your painting business, uh, you can look at the physical world, but it's more about the relationship and the business and the communication. And if you can nail that down, you'll be super successful, not only in life, but with relationship as, as a whole. So thanks for being on the call, Greg. Thanks for moderating the chat yeah, there. Yeah. If you're watching the show right now, you want uh, more information, you can contact us at support at trustedhousepainter.com. You can go to trustedhousepainter.com, check out the site, register your painting company for free. Uh, it also adds to your marketing campaign. So the purpose of social media is to expand your reach. So if you're on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever, uh, you might as well expand as far as you can go so that you can com communicate your services to your clientele. So go to Trust Sales Painter, get your uh, free membership and uh, let us know how what you think. Put your words in the, put your comments in the comment section. Let us know. Thanks again, Greg. Thanks, Clay. And uh, we will chat with you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Paul. Thanks, Thanks for, for everybody for tuning in. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. See you guys later. Thanks. Ciao.